0: Adam Roberts, British science fiction writer, academic, and professor at the University of London. He's author of 25 science fiction novels. This is a continuing series that started at episode 180. We've talked about this from a... I'm going to call it information architecture standpoint. You, you described the Kant and Hegel. Sorry, I I, I forgot the fellas. Uh, Hegel. Yes. Hegel. Thank you. That was the director's cut version of how this happened. Can you frame up the, and if you don't, I'll end up reading the back of the book again on Amazon. I'll just warn you right now. <laughs> but can you frame up the story a, a little bit before we go into the
1: reading? Yeah, so I, I and was, I, I was sort of uh, touched on the fact that Part of the reason I wrote this novel, the this, is because I I stayed off Twitter for a long time. And then eventually I was persuaded to go on Twitter to publicize my novels and everything. It's a great, great platform, Adam. You have to be on Twitter. So I grudgingly went on Twitter. And then it's kind of like the internet in crack cocaine form, isn't it, Twitter? And suddenly I found myself obsessively on twitter all the time and checking my tweets and tweeting all this, this flicking through and something really strange is going on there and i have friends who are almost as extremely online twitter users as i was who have completely gone stepped away from that they've said no this is not healthy there's something pathological here it's addictive it's bad for you you end up with this distorted view of the world it you know it's, it's a platform that is very hospitable to resentment and anger and and picking on people and bullying and name calling and all these kind of terrible things and i agree i can see all that i haven't yet found it within me to step away from that over and above the hegel stuff hegel is really interesting he's a major philosopher and i thought i'd use it as an excuse to try and learn a bit more about him that i'd have to research it to write the novel but really the truth is it's a novel about twitter and about my conflicted relationship with twitter because twitter is at the same on the one hand twitter is a community where i've met dozens of people through twitter i've never met them in real life but i feel like they're close friends of mine they're all over the world Uh, we share things we share links we you know communicate we connect it's really good on the other hand there's something kind of horrific about twitter particularly when you see people being sucked into twitter mobs where they somebody becomes the victim of the day and then everybody piles on them And you think people in real life who are sensitive and humane and wonderful, they sort of lose some part of that when they go online, when they go on Twitter in particular. And that that interested me as a way of thinking about this venerable old science fiction conceit of the hive mind so i suppose the most famous example of the hive mind is the borg and star trek um, although the borg are kind of gothic and a bit gruesome and horrible and you wouldn't necessarily want to be part of the borg there are other hive minds frank herbert wrote a book called hellstrom's hive stephen baxter done some interesting hive mind stories <clears throat> which balance out the fact you have to surrender your individuality and there's something nightmarish about that but on the other hand you get this eternal community which is eternally self-sustaining and you'll never be alone again you'll never be lonely you'll never be isolated and miserable and getting those two things together so the conceit of the novel is the this is the name of this startup company and they're what they're selling is uh a hands-free Twitter where you get a little implant in the roof of your mouth and then you can just think a tweet and it appears on your Twitter feed it's not called Twitter for legal reasons obviously but that's the idea you, you think uh, communication on social media when it appears that you can check your Twitter feed without having to look at a screen and effectively what that means is everyone is you know through the magic of the internet kind of quasi telepathically connected with everybody yeah. else and it, as the novel goes on, the this becomes a bigger and bigger community of individuals who all seem like a cult. They all seem perfectly happy and well-adjusted, but they're all marching in lockstep, and there's a fear that it's going to kind of swamp and take over the world. So that's the kind of heart of the of the novel, is cool. the status of the this of this kind of Twitter analog. Okay, cool. Let's do the reading. Okay. Well, having said all that, uh, but also. Uh, I will read something that has nothing to do with Twitter All of this. Oh, okay. Just a wrong foot you. One of the things I'm, I really like about science fiction is a form they call the fix-up. And the fix-up came about in the 1950s and 1960s, when the majority of science fiction publishing, which had been in magazines, like Astounding and Amazing Stories and lots of short stories, the logic of publishing shifted in the 50s to book-length, works particularly through book clubs and libraries and lots of science fiction writers faced with needing to come up with books to sell books they took old short stories that they'd written and they fixed them up into a book form so the most famous example of that is probably asimov's foundation series so, Asimov originally wrote The Foundation as a series of discrete short stories. And then in the 50s, he fixed them up. He repackaged them as novels, as a, first of all, as a trilogy. And I really like the fix up as a form. And I kind of ape it. I copy it in the writing that I do. So, The This, Purgatory Mount is kind of an example of that. The thing itself is certainly an example of that. But The This is kind of a fix up. It's a series of short stories that are all linked and that all fit together. That eventually if you read through to the end of the novel you see how it all coheres that's the idea behind it so related to what i've been saying about hive minds i start the story with a section called in the bardo and the bardo b-a-r-d-o is the you'll know this from from traveling in the in the east as we say the china and india the idea that we are reincarnated that our souls, when we die, they go to a place called the Bardo, where they wait until they can get reincarnated back into this world again. So the first chapter I have is a kind of, it relates to the rest of the story, but it's a story about reincarnation, and I think I'll read a bit of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One other thing, I should I should just let my words speak for themselves, shouldn't I? But the, the Hegel side to it is, uh, the heart of Hegel's, metaphysics, of his philosophy, is his insistence that subject and object. So I'm the subject, and this book is the object. I read the book. I'm the subject. The book is the object. Hegel says they're the same thing. They don't look like it. They look like we're separated, uh, that I'm different to the book, that I'm different to you. I'm talking to you. I'm the subject, and you're the object. And if you're talking to me, you're the subject, and I'm the object. But actually, we're the same. And we just need to take a proper philosophical view of it, I'm summarizing, i mangling Hegel very badly here, but that's, um, that's where we start with this okay. chapter, which is in the bardo. In the bardo, subject and object are the same. You say, I'm not sure I understand what that means. There's somebody else with you. There's somebody else with you in the Bardo, and this other person is going through the same process you are. Or to put it another way, there are many persons in the Bardo, and they're all going through the same process as you. The place is crammed with people, so many. Do any of them understand this business better than you do? You say it again. I'm not sure I understand what that means. Means, says the other. I mean, since we can't suppose time has any purchase in this place, the present tense in your statement comes into question, rather, don't you think? meant means will mean. I mean, who's to say? You say, huh? A flash of light marks your passage out of the bardo, and you're alive again. That flash was the sunlight, all of it. That flash of light is all the sunlight you will see in the course of your life, and all the darkness too, which is to say you see in an instant the balance of the two, but of course you'll see less darkness and more light over the run of your whole existence because the day is lit. And though the night is not, there's always light inside your dreams. Embodiment. Milk assuages your wailing. You run and it's a pure joy, and the high grass snickers at your hips. You take your share of the meat. You are a parent and sit under an overhang and watch the rain come down so hard it is as if the whole sky has collapsed its liquid blue down upon you in one go. It smells of cleanness and clover, of sky and freshness. As you sit there, cradling one of your kids a thought rushes your memory with intense and vivid suddenness that time when harry cut the throat of a wild cow with a lucky cut and all the cow's blood came out in one go with a great sloshing it was the noise of this rain the noise of life sluicing endlessly through the sky and the earth through you and all the animals and you feel a sharp fragment of understanding There was good eating for days from that cow. You sleep and dream. The next day the ground is muddy. A pain in your jaw grows until you can do nothing but lie on the ground and cry. It fills your head with its pain. And when you think the pain is so great it cannot possibly be greater. It swells further, fire and grinding pressure combined into an agony. It breaks the bone to burst from your head through the side of your face. And the release of this pressure is so sweet you sleep for a day. It still hurts. And the others make fun of your ruined face. And then you are feverish. And then you are more feverish. And then you are dead. Bardo, subject and object are the same. You can remember the whole of that lived life as fine, vain, and perfect as a single glossy leaf from a tree with a trillion leaves. You hold the whole memory in your mind. The light comes again. You were reborn and live long enough to develop a sense of yourself, of your mother, and of your siblings, of heat and shame, the difference between bitter food and sweet, and then you die. A day and a night of diarrhea, and you're gone. In the bardo, subject and object are the same. I can remember all of them, you say. I suppose you do too. Is it the same for you? The other person there smiles. Are you sure? Asks this person, you're not collating numerous similar life memories into a smaller number of manageable memories. You say, "Well, that's a good question." The light again. There is more brightness than darkness in this life too. It's like that for almost every life. You grow up by a pool and there are fish to eat as well as what the tribe hunts in the forest. You and your brothers and sisters and cousins are a tribe within the tribe and you like mischief. One day when one of the community's big men is washing himself in the pool, you and your siblings all piss into the pool for a joke. The big man is very angry and his anger does not settle as anger usually does. He surprises the group of you all later that day. You'd already forgotten the prank and are picking and eating berries, but the big man has not forgotten. And though most of your sisters and brothers run off screaming, he catches you and punches you on the side of the head. His is the big fist, so its blow breaks the bone, and you lie on the ground sobbing and passing in and out of consciousness. Over the course of evening and sunset, the shadow of the bush slides over you like a blanket. Your mother finds you and tries to lift you up, but the movement dislodges something inside you, and you start fitting furiously. Vomit comes up one way and goes down another, and you're dead. In the bardo, subject and object are the same. Does he just go on and on, you ask? I suppose, I, I suppose what I'm wondering is, are we on our way anywhere? The other person smiles. Well, you mean enlightenment, zen, Spiritual evanishment, all that. I don't know anything about any of that. Uh, you tell them your name, they tell you theirs. Abby, something. Abby, normal, you laugh, and Abby laughs too. So that's a joke you share, it seems, a cultural reference you have in common. At the time, this doesn't strike you as strange, but later, <clears throat> when the sheer scope of, well, everything, comes home to you. It sounds a much more discordant note. I mean, what are the odds that you both recognise the reference that you had cultural knowledge sufficiently in common to both laugh? Where did you start this process? Which was your first life? You wonder about yourself. You ask Abby. By way of reply, Abby smiles, a serenissima smile. This time there is no flash. This life is more darkness than light. You live underground and when you come up to the light, it hurts your eyes and you don't like it. But you bring up the ore, and you eat your meals and you play. And when then you're dead and you uh, don't know any different and think to yourself, that wasn't much of a life. Bright light. You live by the river and your life is a habitual matter. Praying, scooping water into irrigation channels, growing your food. Passing your due to the rulers, making small trades with your neighbours, you marry four times and have six children, two of whom live to adulthood and are present at your deathbed. In the bardo, subject and object, the same thing. There's a degree of monotony, you note. Abby shrugs. Darkness, this time, you are blind all your long life. You never see the sunlight, although you can feel it on your face. In the bardo, subject and object are the same thing. Brightness swells again. You're a farmer. 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 I'm going to skip this bit because there's three pages of the phrase you're a farmer over and over again. You're a farmer. 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 You're pressed into the army and die of dysentery far from home. You're a farmer, pressed into the army and spiked with a spear from behind on a battlefield whose name you do not know. You're a farmer and you die by the sword. You're a farmer and you die of disease in the bardo, subject and object are the same thing. The phrase keeps occurring to me, said Annie, uh, as you stretch your limbs and settle more. I couldn't for the life of me tell you what it means. Well, let's say you suggest I. Let's say you. You're the subject. Subject, verb, object. For instance, I eat the apple. Apple, you think. Adam, you think. Was Adam the first life? Was Adam your first life? So in the world of living and dying, you say, I eat an apple. But in the bardo, I and the apple are the same thing. Search me, said Abby, grinning. I don't feel very apply Golden, says Abby, delicious. The brightness swells again. You're a nobleman. Afterwards, when you're back in the barter and can remember it all, you're struck by how rare this is. A nobleman, you dress in fine clothes, slaves attend your mundane needs, and you own a fine house with flat roofs and a carp pond. A man you trust absolutely, a man you've known all your life, shoves you hard, and keeps shoving you until your back is pressed against the wall. You're so astonished you don't say anything, because this man you, this is a man you trust absolutely." He breaks the skin of your chest with the point of his dagger and sets his foot back to brace himself as he pushes hard and the hot blade of the dagger slides into your chest. It is intensely painful. The dagger goes right through you and the point sticks in the plaster of the wall behind you. Thus perish all traitors, your friend shouts right in your face. In the bardo, subject is object. I'm one point closer to appleness... You tell abby i know now what it's like to be sliced with a knife you approach aptitude says abby appleosity you agree snip snap says abby with a strange smile you herd cows you follow the plow you were a weaver you were a fisherman uh, you fall sick you're stretched on a rack you learn to read which means that since you're the only person in your village who can read, you become a de facto priest. You plough, you carry seaweed from the coast up to a walled field to fertilise it. You build a dam, you clean the house over and over, over and over. You're the most successful farmer in your district and people come and beg you for charity when their crops fail and then one year the rainy season does not come and then it does not come for a second year and you and the rest of everybody starve to death together. You give birth, but the child will not come, and you keep pushing and pushing until you die of exhaustion. <clears throat> you climb a tree to pick fruit and fall from the tree and break your leg, and your leg grows three times as fat overnight and becomes ghastly, squishy, and goes black, and you die. You farm, you farm, you farm. You're burned to death when your barn catches fire, but you're cut to death by a man with an axe during a time of war. You die of cholera, you die of dysentery, you die of sepsis. You give birth and it feels like you're being torn in two and then you are dead. You accidentally kill a man and have to abscond from your village and you live in the woods for half a year, growing wilder, driven to more desperate crimes by hunger until winter comes and you freeze to death. You're evicted from the farm because a nobleman wants the land for his sheep. You trek to the coast and your wife and two of your children die on the journey and then you make a new life as a fisherman with the help from your cousin. Um... A surgeon comes from town to cut out a tumour and you die of post-operative sepsis. The bardo, subject and object, are the same thing. I get the feeling I'm getting closer to something. Um, You farm, you farm, you dedicate your life to God, you are a miner, you are a dock worker, you are a railwayman, you farm. You go to school and the schoolmaster beats you and then when you are limping home with blood dripping down your trouser leg into your shoe, a street dog bites you, excited by the smell. And the wound goes bad and you die <clears throat> you work in an office you're pressed into the army you work in an office you die of influenza you work for a bank you work for the council you're a teacher you're a mechanic you're a jeweler <clears throat> you get crushed to death at the, when the crowd at mecca becomes overexcited you die of an asthma attack at the age of 17 you drown in your bath when your carer leaves you alone for five minutes to take a call from her boyfriend you crash your car You die when your life support malfunctions and the temperature in your pod plunges to equalize with the temperature of deep space beyond the hull. You remotely operate an area-forming robot and die when the feedback is maladjusted by a viral e-infection. You work for an AI in AI-human liaison and die of old age rich and self-satisfied. You live on Mars. You spend all life in an artificial habitat in orbit around Jupiter. You mine ice. You think up clever advertising strategies to sell black seed food products. "'I feel like I've shot past something,' you say to Abby. "'Is this the future now?' "'You keep talking like time has any meaning in this what, for want of a better word, I have to call place,' laughs Abby. "'You live as a prince of the solar system in an augmented body and are assassinated with one of your rivals. "'Your whole life is lived inside a generation starship. "'You are one of a fan religion living in a series of serried Chels around Blue Star 44, but you're a soldier.' Bringing one thing only, your capacity for aggression to an auto army that lacks that quality. You live on a purple-red world under a diamond-coloured sun. You live in the foam matrix on a deep space trajectory. You're a part of a cult that uses enhanced sexual pleasure to crystallise the transcendental. You extend your life with a combination of artificial supports and a time dilation, algo reactivator, You upload your consciousness into a series of insect orbs and swarm for the sheer joy of swimming. The stars are running out of fuel, and one by one they flare and sputter and go dark. You are in the bardo. You're in the bardo again. What was that, you ask? I'm going to stop there because it goes on, but that's that's one cycle through. Then you start again in sort of uh, caveman times, and then you're reincarnated all the way through until everyone, until you've had the experience of everyone who ever lived. That's what happens in the first chapter.
0: Oh wow! All right. Yeah, that's 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 a, a very like a. You kind of trapped me in that one because it started out in, in, second, in second person. I thought you really were talking to me, so I answered <laughs> here, is, Describing your life, Nancy. Which is actually quite an experience. I was trapped into that story. I didn't know the story had started. That was, that was kind of cool. And, uh, and the stream of consciousness was uh, uh, very nice. Yes. Yeah, No, I think uh, that's probably the way to describe how to connect mentally to some kind of network like that that's <laughs> yeah and i think if it sounds like this would be an introduction to uh hegel if, if uh <laughs> if, you, if you read this <laughs> book as well
1: that, yeah, uh, that's the idea, I think. I don't know how... I'm not sure how many people want an introduction to Hegel, mind you. That's also true. I and mean, that's the, the truth, the fundamental truth of any story you're going to write is it has to tell a human story that people are interested in reading. It can't just be abstract philosophical ideas or world building or cool tech or anything like that. Yeah. People want to read stories about people. That's what really interests us. If I analyze this, the good news would be if you're,
0: if you're starting with a classic sort of figure like Hegel then there's probably there's gonna be some people who <laughs> who know of him and and are interested in him so so that's a nice way to leverage some kind of how do I say our cultural hooks into uh
1: getting into a story like that the thing that is cool about this i mean obviously i'm biased and i quite understand if other people don't see it this way the there are reasons why these philosophers are so famous that they have some kind of unique and fascinating perspectives on what it means to be alive what the meaning of life might be or what we're all doing here even if you don't necessarily agree with them it's really interesting to just find out what they're saying and to apply that and think how does you know how does that work with our lives how does that make me think about where I am and what I'm doing but Hegel is interesting because he's famously quite complicated and opaque so there's some point in interpreting him and putting him into a dramatic context I think but then I suppose I would say that I don't know
0: well, I think it's a that's a good uh, how do I say this it's like um, the stories like the laboratory of, of how uh, Hegel would be applied in in such a situation
1: yeah and I think so and I also think I mean I'm old enough to remember growing up before Star Wars and I love Star Wars the first Star Wars movie which I went to see when I was a kid kind of blew my mind Star Wars and all its sequels and science fiction cinema is great but it's great in a different way to the classic science fiction that I was reading when I was growing up because classic science fiction is a literature of ideas and it gives you lots of cool ideas cinema's not really about ideas it's about spectacle and wonder and beauty and the kind of visual side to things and that's wonderful as well, but I'm attached to this idea that to read a really good science fiction story is to come across really cool ideas.
0: If you enjoy listening to Sci-Fi Thoughts, but find it difficult to remember to check the website for new shows, get this technology from the future! Install into your phone a podcast player. Using this, you can subscribe... To to our podcast feed, and next thing you know, you'll be cruising around in your car with your phone plugged in, playing Sci-Fi Thoughts, or you'll be out there jogging, or you'll be doing whatever you want this to do, is the police. Put the podcast player down. and have your ears plugged into some cool science fiction programming. You can find instructions on lancerkind.com. In this episode, show notes, you will see a TEDx talk by Adam Roberts and an assortment of other activities. Where are the show notes? Check out the show notes in the podcast player app. You just need to go click on in the app and you will see the notes there. If you don't use a podcast player, but you downloaded the MP3, just go back to this website where you got it and you will see those words right there. Next episode, more Adam Roberts.
1: It's it's problematic from a a novelist's point of view, because as a novelist, you need to get all this sort of stuff right. Otherwise, the readers, particularly North American readers, will read the book and go, just bounce out of it. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. The one occasion on which I wrote a historical novel, I mean, I'm really only, I mean, science fiction is my love, it's my passion, it's really all I'm interested in writing is science fiction. Um, I teach creative writing. And I have creative writing colleagues and friends who write literary fiction. And they will say to me, oh, Adam, when are you gonna write a proper novel, a grown-up novel? And I'm not interested in any of that. <laughs> but I wrote I wrote a history a...
0: Dragon with a girl tattoo. What's the problem here, folks? <laughs> 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 <laughs>